DJ, welcome back. Welcome back. Talk to me. How you been, brother? Sean, I'm doing well, man. It's good to be back in the studio with you. I'm doing well. And, and how about you? I'm good, but I missed you, bro. Like, I actually missed you. I know I didn't tell you this before we got on, but I actually missed you. I appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, busy times, but uh, the last episode, you held it down. I think you gave the fans what they wanted to hear, and I'm excited to be back in the studio and, and chop it up with you again. I try, I try. You already know when you're on your podcast in bye week, I'm going to try my best to hold it down. You know the vibes. But anyways, my name is Deshaun Stevens. This is DJ Lalama. And welcome to Take It or Leave It, the show where we deliver you sports football news for all 27 different schools. DJ, talk to me. How's your long weekend been, brother? It's been long, man. Um, obviously, we didn't get the result we wanted Friday night. Um, so back in the uh, back in the classroom, you know, turning on the film, I was able to catch, uh, you know, some of the OUA games, some of the Canada West games that were going on. And um, it's good to have football back. It's good to have football back. Yeah, I know you just hinted at Manitoba versus Regina, which was a crazy game that we have to get into later on. Um, but I think overall, it's been a crazy weekend, right? We had four days of youth sports football, which to me is absolute heaven. And I think there's a lot to get into that I'm excited to talk about with you today. So uh, let's get straight into it. All right. Uh, the first game I want to talk about, the number two ranked Saskatchewan Huskies took on the Calgary Dinos and Saskatchewan came away with the win 44 to 5. Quarterback Mason Nice had 408 passing yards and five touchdowns. Receiver Daniel Perry had 128 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Uh, DJ, give me your immediate thoughts on this game. I mean, I think at a real high level, right? I mean, you're dealing with, like you said, a, a Vanier Cup contender in, in Saskatchewan and, and obviously a program that's going through a bit of a rebuild, you know, and, and we're not used to seeing that, um, whether it be from, from a coaching staff, a player, and or a fan standpoint, you know, over the last 10, 15 years at the UFC. Um, so, I mean, they're going through it. They're playing a lot of young guys um, and, and they're going to have to take their lumps, I think, to, to get back to where they want to go. But turning it over to the Husky side of things, I mean, nice and high. I mean, 400 plus yards passing, five touchdowns. Um, he looks like he picked up right where he left off last year. And um, I mean, that running game, you know, we talked about before on that first show, you know, Riker, Frank and Ted Cabongo, uh, um, they didn't have to do much, but both of them had over six yard averages on the ground. You know, so when they, you know, were called upon earlier in the game, when the run game was still part of it, um, you know, they did their damage. And I mean, how about Daniel Perry with 130 yards receiving too? Um, they're, you know, they're a team to, to watch out for. And I think we talked about that, you know, um, pretty, pretty explicitly in, in the first episode there. And, um, you know, Scott, Scott Flurry has them, you know, firing already and, and it's only game one. So they're definitely a team to watch out for in, in Can West. No, I totally agree. Um, I definitely think the Saskatchewan Huskies are a team to look out for in the Canada West Conference. And if I'm going to be real with you, my initial thoughts after this game were two things. One, I think Mason Nice is going to be the Canada West MVP in 2022. And two, I think the Saskatchewan Huskies is going to repeat as Hardy Cup champions. Don't hate me. All right. But I think Saskatchewan is going to go back to back this year. It's all fair. And it's and it's and it's all yeah. but, um, the other guy actually on, on Saskatchewan, too. When you look at that defense. I mean, holding any team to four points, um, that's that's tough to do, especially oh, yeah. in West. And, I mean, Nick Weeb at middle linebacker there, the, the Oregon transfer, I mean, he, he's a dog. And, um, yeah, he's he, he's a great ball player. He, he could be up there for, for D player of the year in Canada West already. Yeah, you talk about Weeb, the Oregon transfer, who you actually brought up on the first episode of this show. He balled out. I'm looking at Mason Nice to be Canada West MVP. I'm looking at Saskatchewan to repeat as Hardy Cup champions. And I'm going to be real with you. Whoever wins that Hardy Cup, they may or may not have an, I don't want to say easier path, but they may or may not have a lighter path to the Vanier Cup. Uh, so I'm looking at Saskatchewan to be that team 
Um, but listen, this is a team that had a lot of graduating seniors on offense. I think a lot of the questions entering the season was, would this team still be the same on offense? Would they still be as dominant, as powerful as they've been over the last few years? And they answered all the questions and more. Uh, so Scott Flory and the Saskatchewan Huskies are looking good to start the season. Uh, but let's move it over to the number six ranked Manitoba Bisons took on the Regina Rams. Regina won this game 33 to 23. Uh, Regina Rams running back Bennett Stusick had 132 yards on the ground and one touchdown. Regina's defense had five sacks and forced three turnovers. DJ, I'm going to leave it to you. What was your perspective of this game as a coach on the sidelines? And the entire Ram staff, I mean, to, to come into our barn and, um, you know, kind of lay a licking. Um, kudos to them. They were well prepared, um, very physical team and well coached. But, um, you know, it, it kind of comes down to discipline, you know, and I'm never going to say that, you know, we beat ourselves, they beat us definitely. But uh, we took 17 penalties for 200 yards. Um, the field position game, you know, we lost it, you know, just from the jump, right, with penalties. Um, you know, it, it stalls our offense. It keeps our defense on the field. Um, it's, it's kind of a domino effect from there, uh, special teams wise. I mean, they had a block punt, Ryder Barger came right up the pipe. Um, they're notorious for it. It seems like every week you put on Regina film and, and they're blocking somebody's punt. Um, so, I mean, they're a great team and I think they're definitely under the radar, but seeing what Noah Pelche did, you know, as a freshman quarterback in his first start, you know, look calm, composed, um, good game management, you know, one tug, one, one INT, um, if they get that kind of play, you know, and it's just consistent and they're able to kind of turn to that running game um, and their special teams are lights out along with that defense. You know, there's someone that's going to be there at the end of the year, too. And and I think sometimes you discredit because of how good that team a little north of them is in, in the Huskies. Um, but Coach McConkey, you know, ripping that interim tag away, you know, he's got them firing. And, and they were a, a formidable opponent. The defense was lights out. Special teams was lights out. And the offense, they, would, they had to do. And on our side of the ball, you know, when it comes to the U of M, I mean, A.K. Gasama and, and Brent Adams, both over 100 yards. You know, I thought Dez played pretty well coming back, almost 400 yards passing. Um, the defense was put in tough spots all night. You know, I, I felt like they held their own. The, the film is never as bad as what you think it is on the field. I think we can all attest to that. Um, but special teams and, and just our discipline needs to be better um, if we're going to be able to, uh, to compete in that tough can West. Yeah, honestly, I'm looking at the loss upset loss but it's nothing to hit the panic button for uh des Catelia played amazing he had over 300 yards through the air you had two receivers you know surpass the century mark in receiving for me it's all about protecting your quarterback and protecting the ball right des Catelia got sacked five times and you know regina's defense forced five, uh, three turnovers right so it's about protecting the ball and protecting your quarterback you guys can clearly bang with anybody in the conference uh but you know when you turn the ball over three times and you you know, let the defensive line get to your quarterback five times. Uh, it's, it's a little bit harder to win, right? <laughs> um, but I think this game was more so about Regina and them proving that they're a team that is ready to compete in this conference this season. You look at the preseason coaches poll in the Canada West Conference. Regina was favored last. Like they had the worst odds to win the Hardy Cup this year. Um, so I think they're coming out and proving to this conference that, hey, they're not a pushover team. They're not a team that, you know, is going to sit there and take L's all day. <laughs> and they're a team that's going to that's gonna punch you in the mouth, right? And, and I think for them to come out and beat the number six team in the nation is a huge statement win for them. And they're proving that this is going to be a six-team conference, not a three-team conference. Or actually, no, wait, a five-team conference because Calgary's out. Calgary's out, <laughs> you know? But um, I think it was just a statement win for Regina and, you know, them demanding us to put respect on their name as, as football fans.
Okay, uh, let's switch gears to Concordia and Sherbrooke. I really want to talk to you about this game, DJ, uh, because in a shocking turn of events, the Sherbrooke Velt Aor defeated the Concordia Stingers 24-23. The Stingers entered halftime with a 19-0 lead, which they obviously blew. Uh, Concordia's 2021 RSCQ MVP quarterback Olivier Roy threw for 224 yards and two touchdowns, while their number one receiver Jalen Greaves hauled in 92 yards and two touchdowns. DJ, give me your immediate thoughts on this upset loss. I don't think it's just the one game, right? I, I think this is, you know, something that we're looking at, you know, dating back to even game one of the season um, in the RSEC. And, and I think when you look at Olivier Roy and the potential and, and what he put on tape last year, I mean, we all said he's, he's a heck Crichton type of quarterback. Um, and that's not because we're saying he is, that's because of the tape that he put out there last year and what he proved. And I think, you know, as a quarterback, you come in and, you know, his numbers aren't bad, so to speak, but, you know, after two games, you know, we're talking about a guy that only has 54% completion percentage. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy that only has 400 yards passing in two games, which, you know, for a normal quarterback, you're pr probably pretty happy with that. But compared to what his stats were last year, you know, you're going to leave yourself scratching your head. And I do think it comes back to a little bit probably of that ball possession. Um, we talked about their defense early on. And, you know, uh, without us being there on the sideline, it's tough to tell exactly, you know, what kind of shape, you know, the offense is getting the ball in every single time. Um, but I think he's going to need some more support, um, whether it's the defensive side of the ball, whether it's special teams, that O-line, you know, getting a little bit more from the running back. You know, uh, Dwante Morgan only has 95 yards rushing through two games. You know, and if that's your starter, I mean, 40 yards, 45 yards a pop, probably not going to do it. Um, it's going to keep everyone honest. And, and, you know, they're not getting that right now. So teams are able to drop back and, I think that's why that 54% completion percentage stands out to me. How about you? Yeah, honestly, it was a tough loss. And um, I'm going to be real with you. I, I wrote off Concordia's loss to Montreal last week because any time that you were beginning your season against the defending Dunsmore Cup champions, you're in a tough position. So I didn't take last week's performance against Montreal as a sign of what's to come in 2022 for this team. This game, though, against Sherbrooke, I thought would be very tell-all about who Concordia would be this year. And... Um, Listen, if this is the performance that's tell-all of who this team will be in 2022, then the reality is this team might not be as showtime as we thought they'd be, right? Uh, I'm looking at the offense, and you talk about their lack of run game. It's hurting them. Teams are realizing that this team can throw the ball, and they are keying in on Jalen Greaves and Jacob Salvale, and they are shutting down those two receivers and forcing Olivier Roy to hand off the ball. And if you have no run game to balance out your passing game, then you're stuck. All right. <laughs> so you're stuck. If you can't move the ball through the air and you're looking to move the ball on the ground, you can't move the ball on the ground, then you're in trouble. OK, so I think their run game is going to be their Achilles heel of this season. And listen, they didn't have a run game last year either. Right. So um, I'm going to be curious to see how, you know, they really fare this year if all they have is their pass game, right? If, if teams are keying in on, on those two receivers and forcing Olivier Roy to get rid of the ball, I don't know how they're going to fare. But their defense, though, their defense, believe it or not, I think their defense has gotten better. And I'm going to tell you why. Last week against Montreal, they gave up 26 points. Seems like not the best, right? But is it that bad to give up 26 points to an offense that features Jonathan Senecal, Bertrand Beaulieu, and Hussein Dosso? three potential All-Canadians, right? An all a potential All-Canadian quarterback, a potential All-Canadian receiver, and a potential All-Canadian running back. 
26 points, not that bad, right? And then you look at yesterday against Sherbrooke. They shut out the Velt Aor for the entire first half, okay? Now, they, they gave up 24 points in the second half, right? That's the downfall. But this shows me that this is a defense that has gotten better, knows how to, you know, force, turno first force turnovers and get offenses off the field. Now it's about consistency. Can they do that for all four quarters, right? And I think if they can learn to do that for all four quarters over the course of the season, then this team can still compete. But if they can't, then they're in trouble no matter who they're against, whether it be Montreal, whether it be Laval, whether it be Sherbrooke, whether it be McGill, they're in trouble if they can't be consistent. Um, so those are my thoughts on the, uh, on the Concordia Stingers. Okay, DJ, let's move into our final game of the week. And that was the UFT Varsity Blues versus the number 10 ranked Carlton Ravens. And UFT came away with the win, 28 to 13. Second year quarterback for UFT, Kinzale Phillips, threw for 213 passing yards, one touchdown, while rushing for 66 yards. While Carlton quarterback Tanner DeJong threw for 214 passing yards and one touchdown. All right, so I had the privilege of being in this game, so I'm going to get the first word, all right? I'm going to start off. Um, for me, the biggest thing I was looking for in this game was to determine whether or not the Carlton Ravens were a true top 10 program. Whenever you're at the number 10 spot, there's always a question mark surrounding your team, whether that be offensively or defensively. Last week in their win against McMaster, we never got to know or learn what the question mark was with the Carlton Ravens. This week against UFT, we found out it was their offense. Tanner DeJong had 214 passing yards. That number could have been extremely higher. The reason why it was the way it was is because a lot of receivers were dropping passes. And I'm not talking anything complicated like 50 yards down the field behind the shoulder. I'm talking the simple stuff. I'm talking the three-step slants. I'm talking the five-yard hitches. The stuff that you do in early outs. Receivers were dropping those passes. And as they say, it's a game of inches, right? And those drops made a difference between moving the chains and you know, going to and out. So I think the struggles with Carlton's offense were really highlighted on Saturday. Um, when it came to Joshua Ferguson, he had an amazing performance against McMaster last week, but this week he wasn't able to do much. And I'm not surprised because U of T's defense has some ballers like, you know, James Gregg, Blake Zerubiak, Dominic Sirocco, and Jackson Meyer. So I could see them stopping the run. Uh, but I think, you know, the Carlton Ravens, their question mark is their offense. Now, do they have the right head coach who can remedy those issues? And Corey Grant, absolutely, right? I think he did an amazing job turning McMaster's offense into a Yates Cup winning offense back in 2019. And I think he could replicate that, you know, here at Carlton. Uh, but I think going forward, the Carlton Ravens got to do a better job of cleaning up the little stuff on their offense if they want to put points on the board. I want to talk about Kinzale Phillip, but I'm going to let you have your piece. Do your thing. Before you, before you get into yeah. Kinzale, I think it's important to note I mean, obviously, he's a dual threat. And, yes. and his game spoke on that, and, and I think you're going to allude to that in a second here. But I think what's more important here is when we talk about, you know, the, the score, right, that I don't think was expected. I mean, I'm just going to throw you a stat line here. Carlton gave up 353 yards of rushing for a 7.7 .7 average. Yes. Now, if you do that, you know, I mean, Adam Williams went off 150 yards, right, average eight yards a pop. Samuel Conte, 6.2 yards a pop for 80 yards. Obviously, Kinsale Phillip, as you mentioned. And then Lucas Stoikos also was in the mix. I mean, if you're going to give up almost 400 yards rushing, I mean, the clock is on your side. I mean, there, there's nothing Carlton could do to get back in that game if that's what they're giving up. You know, the, the passing stuff's almost a bonus. You know, so I think the dual threat nature, you know, probably some RPO game, you know, probably opened up, you know, some of that passing, right, that, that you spoke on. 
But again, I mean, from Carlton's standpoint, you can't give up 400 yards rushing and, and expect to be in a ball game. I was actually shocked that Carlton's defense let up almost, you know, 400 yards rushing because last week against McMaster, uh, they only let up 82 yards rushing, right? So I think when you're looking at Carlton's defense, it's, it's one of two things, right? It's either there's an inconsistency there or UFT's run game is just hella good. And if I'm going to choose one of the two, I'm going to say UFT's run game is just hella good, all right? And I think I'm looking at Kinzel Phillip. The brother reminds me of Trey Ford. I had so much fun watching this brother touch the field on, on Saturday. And it was only his second start, right? And I think, like, you look, when this brother left the pocket in the first quarter, let me tell you something. His first run in the first quarter when he left the pocket, the rule of thumb is if you're a quarterback, you see contact coming, you slide. This brother put his shoulder down and tried to truck a linebacker, spun around them, and fought for extra yardage. And that's some Trey Ford stuff that we were seeing back in the day, right? So if you look at some Trey Ford film from, you know, even as, as recent as, you know, a couple months ago, right, when he was playing in the CFL before he got injured, he was trying to truck linebackers. And Kinzel Phillip gives me that same vibe. Listen, this is a kid in his second year of eligibility. He got three more years left of eligibility after this. He has the same height as Trey Ford, the same build, the same weight. This brother could be Trey Ford number two, okay? That's what I'm looking at right now. Um, Adam Williams, shout out to that brother, okay? He's been working for a while to have nights like this, what we saw on Saturday night, 150 yards rushing. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal, right? Uh, Nigel Lagood, shout out to him, right? I think UFT's offense was, was solid, but I'm looking at Kinzel Phillip and I'm saying, man, I've always wondered, why don't Canadian university teams try to replicate what Waterloo did more, right? I think you saw the success of what Trey Ford did for four years. Uh, you saw the success that, that that offense had being the number one offense in the country for so many years. Why don't Canadian universities try to replicate that more? U of T is doing it right now, and you're seeing excitement and you're seeing potential. My question is, why the hell uh, don't Canadian universities want to try to replicate that more uh, based on just seeing the results of it? It's not, it's not so much about replicating, you know, the style. I think it's hard to replicate the like the player. You know what I mean? I mean, when we talk about Trey Ford, I mean, yeah. he is a generational talent that came through youth sports. And I'm not saying there's other guys that aren't as athletic as him, but be able to have the poise, be able to be a true dual threat who can beat you through the air and or on the ground. I mean, that's special. And you don't find that very often. You know, I could talk about, you know, some guys in the last decade and Andrew Buckley. Right. That was able to do the same thing at Calgary. You know, Noah picked in for a couple of years at Regina. You know, you see Trey Ford, obviously, for all four years at Waterloo. And now you have this kid. I mean, he, he's had success at every level, though, you know, even dating back to his days as a BC high school football player. You know, he won championships. He was an all star. He was MVPs of U16 challenges. You know, he has had success everywhere you went. And I really think U of T, like you said, has a star in the making. And now if this kid can put U of T back on the map, the football map in, in the OUA, I mean, that's good for football overall. Well, first off, I'm going to always say I'm a Toronto man, all right? And I need I need at least one U Sports football team in this city to be good, okay? Um, so I'm looking at U of T right now, and I'm begging y'all. Y'all need to, to bring it together for me, please, because the other team in this city ain't going to get it done, and they ain't going to get it done for a long time, right? <laughs> um, so I need playoff football in Toronto. Please, U of T, bring it to me. But... DJ, I need to know, bro, because listen, I understand Trey Ford, generational talent, and there will never be another for a long time, right? You look at who's the most electrifying quarterback before Trey Ford. People are talking about Chris Flynn back from the SMU days in the 90s, okay? Um, but I want to know, 
even though you know not every dual threat quarterback is going to be generational why is it still that the dual threat quarterback in canada is still the anomaly right why is it that the dual threat quarterback in canada is still so uncommon and you look down south and the dual threat quarterback is the norm the norm right why are we why aren't we there yet right why is it that you still have teams that have three four quarterbacks on their roster and all of them are pocket passers traditional pocket passers right you look at guelph all their quarterbacks they're having they're having they're having quarterback issues right now and all of their quarterbacks are you know traditional pocket passers why why aren't we there yet why are we still in my opinion a bit behind on ushering in the dual threat quarterback here in canada what are your thoughts I think in the in the U.S., right? I mean, that whole kind of RPO, you know, dual threat quarterback. It really started at the ground level and worked its way up until eventually it obviously get you know got to the NFL, and now you see you know what guys are doing there. Um, but I, but I think in the CFL, you know, it, it's kind of the opposite. You know, the CFL in recent years has gone to more pocket passers, right? Protecting them, keeping them on their feet. Um, you're seeing a lot more spread, right? You're seeing like true run plays and or true pass plays, right? There's not a ton of RPO if you if you really dissect those games. And I think, you know, it has a trickle down effect to what you're seeing at the U sport level, right? I mean, you, it's a different game of football, right? U sport coaches, they're going to, you know, talk amongst themselves. They're going to watch tape amongst their colleagues and you're going to watch tape of, you know, the, the level higher than you. And I think when you don't see it at that level, you know, maybe outside of, you know, VA in 20, you know, 2019 when you went off from Montreal, or, you know, early shades this year of Nathan Rourke, I mean, you're not going to see a lot of quarterbacks running. And I think when you break that down systematically, it has a trickle down effect to what you see at the U sport level for sure. And I think Trey Ford um, put it on the map at the U sport level. And I'm just excited that this Kinsale Phillip kid, you know, was able to show out the way he was. And now we have something else to look forward to. And hopefully it's, it's more of a, a trendsetter than just, you know, a one-off trailblazer. No, I think you're right. And uh, to your point, DJ, I truly believe in my heart that the impact that Trey Ford has on the next generation of Canadian quarterbacks is going to be priceless. I mean, like I said, I always say this to people. You're looking at a young man who went to a Canadian high school, committed to a Canadian university, and is now in the CFL, and before he got hurt, was doing his thing. And I think there are going to be so many young Canadians who look at Trey Ford and say, I want to be like that. I want to be a dual threat quarterback who can tear teams apart through the air and tear teams apart on the ground. Um, interesting thing. After the game this weekend, I got the opportunity to speak with Kinzale Phillip. And I said to him, one of the things I said to him was, my brother, you remind me a lot of Trey Ford. And he said to me, thank you. I really look up to Trey Ford. Think about that. This is a brother who's just a couple years younger than Trey Ford but is already looking up to him as a role model and trying to replicate his game. And I think if you have brothers who are just a couple years younger than Trey Ford trying to replicate his game and be like him and following his path, then imagine the children um, and the next generation of football players are going to try to do the same thing. So I can't wait to see it. I, I, my dream is for the dual threat quarterback to be the, the, the norm here in Canada, but we'll see one day. Anyways, um, aside from that, though, uh, U of T top 10 real quick. U of T top 10. Okay, next I want to get into some fan questions real quick to cap off this show. Um, and the first question comes to us from an anonymous sender. The question is, what's going on in Guelph? Hmm. DJ, I know you just got out of practice a while ago with the Manitoba Bisons, but did you see what happened uh, with Guelph versus Windsor? I did not see what happened. I'm going to go over to you here and I want to hear what went on. 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Um, at the time of this recording, the number nine ranked Guelph Griffins just lost 28 to 24 to the Windsor Lancers in their home opener. Wow. Yeah. Um, yo, off the rip, tell me how you feel about that, DJ. I'm shocked. I mean, I guess what the, you know, what Cicerellis are doing over in Windsor is, is, is starting to work or, or Guelph has bigger issues on their hands. You know, it's, it's one of the two. Yeah, to be honest, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, JP Cicelli has done an amazing job of rebuilding that program, building out that roster and putting them in a position to win. He's done a phenomenal job of tapping into the American pool that they have access to with being a school that's on the border, the, the Detroit-Windsor border. Um, they brought in a you know a solid amount of American players who can ball. I'm looking at running back Joey Zorn, the rookie running back who's been the heart and soul of that offense for the last two weeks. That brother's from Flint, Michigan. He ain't Canadian. He's an import from, from Flint, Michigan. All right? Um, and they've done a great job of tapping into transfers who want to come to Windsor and finish out their career and still be on a, on a competitive team and have a shot at winning. I'm looking at Delius Danzo, you know, the senior uh, defensive end for that team who was once a defensive end at Waterloo, right? Uh, so I think they've done an amazing job. And... I said this last week on the podcast, and I'll say it again. They have a solid defense, okay? And I said, listen, if they can find some rhythm on offense, there is no team in the OUA that the Windsor Lancers can't bang with, aside from Western, okay? And listen, they found rhythm today on offense, rushing the ball, and they won, okay? So the Windsor Lancers are not a team to play with this year. <laughs> That's not a pushover team this year, you know what I'm saying? Um, but to the answer to the question about Guelph, I think the issues on that team stem at the quarterback position and stem at stopping the run. When you look at the quarterback position last week, they had Tommy Yangchuk come in at quarterback, the UBC transfer, and they had Sean Law, um, the young man who started for them last season. And neither of them put together good performances last week. This week, um, at quarterback, they had Jake Helfrich, who was a South Carolina transfer, and then they had Sean Law again. And again, uh, you know, Helfrich came in. He was 10 for 22, threw for 117 yards. Okay performance. Sean Law came in to finish the game and obviously couldn't get the job done. I'm looking at, you know, Guelph and I'm saying, I don't know if the quarterback that can lead that team right now is currently on that roster. Um, but we'll see, right? It's, it's week two. But I'm saying right now they have some quarterback issues that they need to work through. When it comes to stopping the run, last week they gave up over 300 yards rushing. Um, versus Western, which is expected because Western has the top rushing attack in the country. But this week, Joey Zorn torched um, that front seven on the ground, right? And and that's how Windsor won the game. So I'm looking at that defense and I'm saying, hey, they might have trouble stopping the run because if a rookie running back can come in and rush for over 100 on you, there's a problem. Now, no disrespect to Joey Zorn. Not, I'm not disrespecting him. I think the brother can ball. And right now he's leading the country in rushing yards. But I think with Guelph, if they want to be able to have a shot at winning games, they got to be able to stop the run. It's 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 bread and butter. It's fundamental. So I think those are the those are the two issues with Guelph right now. I think the quarterback position there's some concern there, and I think stopping the run there's some concern there. But shout outs to Windsor, shout outs to that defense, shout outs to um, Joey Zorn and all them brothers for getting that win today because that was a big win for this program. Okay, let me breathe. Whew. All right. So the next question comes to us from Sarah Said on Twitter. And her question is, what is your most favorite moment in U-Sports football history? Favorite moment, huh? Is it a personal moment or like as a fan? Let's go personal moment for you because you've done a lot. All right. I think for myself, it was 2014 winning that Hardy Cup uh, in Calgary, you know, kind of ending their dynasty, if you will, uh, you know, caused 10 turners, turnovers on defense, um, you know, made Andrew Buckley look somewhat human for the first time in his career. 
Um, we came up short, obviously, to the Caravan the next week, but being able to host a trophy, you know, in any conference, you know, in, in, in this sport, um, it's pretty special. You know, it's, it's a bond that you're going to look back at, you know, something that you can be proud of. And, um, you know, for me, that'd be the highlight, you know, having all your, uh, your work and, and dedication kind of culminate in one moment. So how about you? Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> but my moment is also from 2014, coincidentally, okay? And it's actually it's the Vanier Cup, so two weeks later after you won the Hardy Cup. And it's Montreal and McMaster in a packed stadium at McGill. Final minutes of the game. Uh, McMaster is going for a crucial field goal to keep the game alive. And the field goal is blocked. It's blocked. The game-winning block, right? And this is going to sound so bad, but I don't mean for it to be bad. But in that moment when the field goal is blocked, everyone's cheering. And then you just see them pan the camera right in Marshall Ferguson's face. And his expression just says it all. Uh, Marshall or what's going on here if he's listening? No, 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 no. Marshall, Marshall's awesome. <laughs> you know, Marshall's awesome. Um, I did commentary with him for the Utah Bowl last year. And I had an amazing time. And um, <laughs> can't say enough how awesome he is. I just think for me, like the moment was just so amazing, right? Like you think about it. This is basically a home game for the Caravan. Um, you know, block field goal to essentially win their first Vanier Cup in program history. You see the reaction of the fans, and then to cap it all off, you see Marshall, right? And you see his emotion, and you see just how shook he is. And for me, just that 30 seconds of just camera angles and shots and everything was just so powerful. The storytelling behind that was amazing. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a fiend for storytelling. I love that. And then, of course, Tim McAuliffe was the commentator. I'm a fan of commentary. I love commentators and, and the art of commentary itself. And the call was just so historic for me. Like, it was just legendary. Like, it, I got goosebumps. So, so, um, so yeah, just the moment was amazing. Sorry, Marshall, <laughs> to bring it up. Um, I even brought up to him, like, when I was on air with him during the Utah Bowl last year. And I was like, why the hell did I bring this up when I went, like, in my head? But um, just for me, like, that was the moment that put me on as a fan for U Sports football. So, I'll say uh, that's my favorite moment in U Sports football history. Okay, and the last question comes to us from Jim Mullen, president of Football Canada. Jim Mullen, my God. Yeah, that's the GOAT, Jim Mullen. Um, listen, for what he's done for this culture, the football culture in this country, when that man asks a question, it needs to be answered. That's a no-brainer, all right? <laughs> we, we answer to Jim Mullen, so there is no if, ands, or buts. We got to answer the question when Jim Mullen sends in a question. You gave him the best right. for last in Jim Mullen. That's facts. All right, so Jim Munn's question is, give me one big idea that U Sports could achieve by 2023. Just one. You start with that one. I'm going to ponder on my, on my answer here. Okay, uh, my answer is I'd love to see a U Sports streaming service that has representation from all four conferences. Um, so I think one of the biggest issues that fans encounter is that you know, you can see games in the OUA for free. You can see games in the AUS for free. Um, games in the RSCQ are like on French television in, in Quebec. Um, Concordia games are for free. And then in Canada West, you have Canada West TV. I think there's just too much disparity and too much confusion about where you can see games and not being able to see games and stuff like that. And so I think um, if U-Sports was able to make like a more centralized streaming service that had some representation from all four conferences, I think that'd be really cool. Uh, realistically, you're not gonna be able to get every single school on board, right? Some schools have TV deals with, you know, networks and stuff like that. But for some of the free schools, right? So I'm looking at OUA schools, I'm looking at AUS schools, I'm looking at Concordia, and I'm looking at some Canada West schools. Um, if you can get them on board to kind of like have their games hosted under one streaming service, I think that does a really solid job of centralizing where viewers can go watch games. 
and have it under one link. So I think, and then you know what, for the other schools, right, um, that have TV deals, when those TV deals expire in the future, then you try to recruit them on board as well. Um, so I think having a centralized streaming service will be really cool uh, for you sports athletics as a whole. And I think it'll do a good job of making the game accessible for fans to see across all four conferences. So that's what I would, I think you sports could do in a year. It seems like a long-term project, but to make a streaming service doesn't take that long. I've seen it done at some companies in under a year. Um, so working with a third party, I think is really possible, but um, not an easy goal, not an easy thing that can be achieved in a year, but I think the timeline to get it done, could it be in a year? I think it could be. Will it be done? Um, we'll see. Not sure if it'll ever be done. <laughs> I think I'll go in a different way here just to, so that we can cover more ground. Um, I think the streaming service is a must have though, for sure. Uh, Jim, I, I know you got some connections there, man. So if you can, you can lend a hand to use sports and, and get these kids, um, you know, more, uh, more spotlight. I think it's all the, all the better for them, but you know, for myself, I, I need, I want to see more butts in the seats and, and I'm biased because I'm a coach now and, you know, I played a game when we opened IG field, you know, it was Manitoba versus the U of A. And they came and we were opening IG. I remember the Winnipeg Blue Bombers hadn't won a game in the stadium yet that season. So everyone was kind of searching for that first win at IG. And we went in and I think we won something like 57 to 40. It was, it was a crazy shootout game. But we had 16,000 people at a U Sports game in Can West, which, which, which is tough to do unless you're U of, you know, U of Saskatchewan and, and hosting some sort of playoff game. And when you have that kind of atmosphere, and when you're able to market appropriately, it, it goes a long way for the experience, which then translates into the competition, which then translates into alumni relations, which then translates into a better product, you know, year after year after year. And I think two things that the CFL, you know, possibly Football Canada is kind of the linchpin, i.e. gym, and you sports could do is you look at the big markets that have, you know, late, it's Labor Day weekend right now. You know, why isn't Mac you know, and U of T playing, you know, Toronto and Hamilton is, you know, why don't we get, you know, Regina playing U of M, you know, the day after and try to culminate in the same area, you know, ticket sales or some sort of package, you know, why can't we get the battle of Alberta, you know, going on and, and you look at what these could do. And then it translates later on into the Vanier cup, you know, to, to me, the Vanier cup and, you know, the great cup, they need to be in the same location. It should be a celebration of Canadian football, regardless of what league we're talking about. That's facts. If you want to throw in the, the junior championship too, have them the Friday night, have the Vanier Cup the Saturday night, have the Great Cup the Sunday, and just have an absolute celebration of what this game means to this country. I think there's a couple of different instances throughout the year. Like I said, Labor Day is an example that you could do that. But I think you know, with Jim and his power to answer his question, um, we need to have more alignment um, between all tiers of football in this country so that we can showcase our talent and, and get more butts in the seats because ultimately that's what it's all about. It's an experience. I agree. And listen, I know Jim is always preaching alignment on his Twitter, on his social media, everything. He's always preaching alignment, alignment, alignment. So um, he practices what he preaches, and I think he would love to see alignment in his, as well as, as all of us, right? So uh, shout-outs to Jim. Thank you for sending in that question. It's always good to hear from such an icon in just the Canadian football community. Uh, but listen, DJ, we're about to wrap up, bro. <laughs> we're, we're under a minute here. Uh, talk to me, DJ, real quick. What are you looking forward to next week in U Sports Football? Question, man. 
I'm I'm really excited to see you know what U of S does to yeah. follow up with, uh, you know a big win like that. You know if if they continue going in the right direction or if they take a step back now. Um, you know only they can answer that. You know I think another big one is you know we spent a lot of time on it in this episode, but U of T. You know can they keep it going or is it a one hit wonder? I mean you know I guess we'll wait and see. And I think like you said you know early on we know what the Caribbean are. We know what they're going to be. Um, I, I think if you're uh, Concordia and you go 0-3, that's that's too steep of a hole to climb out of. Um, so I think they're going to have to uh, to giddy up here and and stay competitive. You know, stay in the mixer. Yes, sir. Yo, you brought up UFT. Listen, next week they got a big game against Lori. I'm gonna be in the house. I'm gonna be at Varsity Stadium, downtown Toronto, Bloor Street, St. George Station. Holla at your boy if you see him. All right, um, but I'm gonna be there. Listen. Back in 2019, UFT started the season one and one. They won in week two against Windsor. And then in week three, they went to Laurier and they beat Laurier. And that put them on the top 10 for the first time in 25 years. Here we are a few years later. The UFT Varsity Blues are once again one and one with a week three matchup against Laurier. And if UFT is not on the top 10 this week, if they win that game against Laurier next week, there is a solid case that they deserve to be a top 10 team. But DJ... That's a wrap, my brother. Listen, I appreciate you. And you know, you know the fans appreciate you too, right? They love you. You know the fans love you, right? Likewise, man. <laughs> We're just keeping the conversation going. I'm looking forward to more fan, uh, more fan questions as we move forward. And um, like I said, man, you, you do a great job. And I'm just excited to be in the studio with you. Likewise, brother. And listen to the people listening. We're excited to be in the studio with you. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, to stay up to date with all things U Sports football and even all things U Sports, make sure you follow and Persevere on Instagram at Persevere underscore. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Persevere underscore. And make sure you're following us on TikTok. Yes, I'm going to say it again. We have a beautiful TikTok page. Follow us on TikTok at Persevere. Um, we got this podcast going on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to Persevere. Until next time, this is Deshaun Stevens and DJ Lalama signing off. Peace and blessings.